the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. A lot of this is about just streamlining our days, our lives, and there are so many things when you come into the office that can just eat away at you and just destroy your productivity. I mean, that's part of this. Part of this is, you know, it's about reducing stress, making you happier, making your job easier. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. So, Maximum Lawyers, Tyson and I wanted to hop on real quick and give you an intro to this new concept we have going called Maximum Lawyer Rewind. There we go. Maximum Lawyer Rewind. This is a brilliant idea from our very own Becca Eberhardt and Tyson. They, they've come up with a lot of good ideas. And one of them is that we want to bring you some of our best episodes, some of our favorite episodes. And I haven't um, seen the list of what those episodes are, but I sure want to make sure that Law Firm Roulette is on the list because that's one of my all-time favorite episodes. Jim has not seen the list because he's not completed his portion of it, but I, I, the first one I pegged was the, the roulette. So uh, website roulette, it was the very first one that I picked and I picked a few other ones and there's some really, really good ones in there that I had completely forgotten about. And Jim, so you need to finish the list and so that people can, can listen to the rest of our top 10 Maximum Way Rewind episodes. All right, I'll do it. All right. Enjoy everybody. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on, buddy? Tyson, I'm excited about our show today. We've got a good topic, I think, saying no and letting go. And this topic came to me when I was on my way to work today, thinking about all the things that I've been doing or that I've historically done that I've either let go of or need to let go. And what I mean by that is that in order for us to be able to move forward as a firm, as a lawyer, as a person, there are things in our lives that have to be forgotten or abandoned or eased away from. And the greatest example of that is when we are presented with new opportunities, because the fact is we only have so many hours in a day and a week, and we get dragged into all these other little side issues. And I definitely have a tendency to go to the shiny object and to see what the next exciting thing is. And so I've been really trying to focus and saying no to more things. And I think it's really important. And the fellow that I think is super smart. And every time I get a chance to hear him, his name is Derek Sivers. I've heard him on Tim Ferriss a couple of times. And his approach when presented with a new opportunity is, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And I think that's a good prism 
as we grow as lawyers and as people running law firms to think of new opportunities or new distractions. If we're not completely all in, if it's not completely tied into our overall mission, then I think we just need to say no a whole lot more. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is about just streamlining our days, streamlining our lives. And there are so many things when you come into the office that can just eat away at you and just destroy your productivity. I mean, that's part of this. Part of this is, you know, it's about reducing stress, making you happier, making your job easier. The last thing you want to do is to start your day at eight in the morning, seven in the morning, whatever time you get in the office. And then you finally pull your head out of your email at I don't know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and then you've got your full to-do list of items to do. I mean, it's just things like that can just drain on you on a daily basis as you watch your to-do list grow and grow and grow and nothing's getting done because everything's bogging you down. Hopefully the list that we go through is going to help attorneys relieve some of their stress and get more work done. So with that being said, let's get into number one. Yeah. So the first one are unnecessary meetings. And meetings are a total time suck. Meetings can be very unproductive. I've really tried to get to a situation where other than client consults, I only have one or two meetings a week. When we have a meeting, we have an agenda. We have a, a list of what we want to accomplish and why we're there. And we make it sort of crystal clear what the outcome of the meeting is supposed to be and what topics are being covered. And there's definitely value in communicating with the people in your office, but just sometimes meetings that go on and on or that have people sitting there that don't need to be there or that only need to be there for part of it, meetings can really be a time suck. And saying no to more meetings can really help you find that little bit of extra time to work on your firm as opposed to in your firm. Well, yeah, and those daily interruptions, that's why you have to block your time. And I go by the whole 12-week year method. I think everyone that listens to this podcast knows that you know, I create these buffer blocks where, you know, people know that they can't just come in and talk to me. I mean, it sounds harsh, but it's really not. They understand it. They understand that they can come and talk to me between 11 and 12 and between four and five. I mean, those are the times they can come talk to me. And if they happen to see me during the lunch break, obviously they can talk to me too about that kind of stuff. There could be urgent matters that come up, but you have to block your time and having people just pop into your office for a quick five-minute meeting. You have five or six of those a day. You're talking about, what, 30, 35 minutes. You're day just gone on little bitty meetings, you actually set aside time for those distractions that'll help you out quite a bit. Number two, networking that goes nowhere. There's lots of networking organizations, networking groups that can really just suck on your time and do nothing for you. I think there are organizations like BNI that are very, very good. I don't necessarily think that they worked for you, Jimmy. I may be wrong about that, but for your business-wise, I'm not sure they work so well just because immigration doesn't seem to net a lot of uh, leads through BNI. But for me, it worked really well for me. It's just one of those things where it was a huge time suck. And so I had to balance the time suck versus the number of cases I was getting. I did get some pretty good cases, but overall, it was just hard for me to do. I mean, it's just, I mean, do you have the one-to-ones, you have the weekly meetings, you've got all these other things you've got to do for the organization. It's hard to do. That being said, I think BNI is a great organization, but there are other ones out there that they say that they're networking events, but they're really just fundraiser for that organization and they don't do a whole lot for you. You go to them and if you feel find yourself sort of regretting going to it, it's probably not such a good thing. Kind of like what you said, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. David Sivers, he's great too. I would cut away those networking events, 
unless it's one of those things where I like to go out and have a happy hour with a buddy of mine every once in a while. I mean, those things like that, I guess I could consider networking, but I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the ones where they're coined as networking events and they're really just a big colossal waste of time. Yeah. And for me, with BNI, it was not the right place for me to be networking, but I've, I've made great strides in meeting people at the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce at other places where immigrants hang out at fundraisers for charities and groups that support immigrants. So it's just a matter of doing it the right way. But I, I do think that in this technological age that you could get by and run an entire practice without much networking at all. I did just get back from Florida and Craig Goldenfarb had a great networking suggestion, which was a targeted lunch three times a week with people that have a real opportunity to maybe send you business or refer cases to you. And I think that has value. But I think there's this random, you know, showing up at events so you can pass out as many business cards as possible. I think that's just not the way to go. All right. So for number three of things that you need to say no to or let go of, we talked about practice areas. And, you know, one of the great things that I've ever done was to limit the number of practice areas that I have. And I think it's really important. I think that I walked by a law firm window down in West Palm Beach on Friday, and the boys and I counted the number of practice areas that this attorney listed on his glass on the window out in front of his shop. You know how many he had? 18. 18 practice areas. On his window? Yeah, on the window outside of his law office, he had all of his practice areas and he had 18 practice areas. So how anyone could ever be perceived as a specialist or particularly knowledgeable. I mean, to me, that just screams desperation, screams that I'll do whatever comes in the door. And it also, I think, makes you non-referable. If somebody thinks that you specialize in one thing and they don't do that and their firm doesn't do that, that's going to make you much easier to refer to than if they view you as competition. If you do business contracts and immigration, then if they do business contracts, then they think that if they refer their immigration case to you, that you're going to try to take their business contract work too. So I think it just makes a lot of sense to develop an expertise, to develop a focus, to develop an area of law that you specialize in and really drill down so that you are easily referable and you'll just become more knowledgeable. We had to let go car accidents and slip and falls because we just didn't have the systems like you do to handle those things. And now I would just rather send them to you, let you handle them well. And then I'm not running around trying to figure out how to get a lien lifted from an insurance company at the last minute. So I think giving up practice areas is a great way to really jumpstart and focus your practice. Yeah. And I don't think we can stress that part enough is the referral part of it. And I remember when I first started my practice, I was a little worried to not take everything that came through the door. And so occasionally I would take these things that were these sort of way outside of my practice area types of cases. And occasionally I would take, I've actually taken three family law cases in my entire career and I regretted each one of them. And I, and all three of them I took whenever I first started my practice. And it was just one of those things where it was not worth the money I received for it. And then occasionally I would get calls back from these people, you know, thinking I was a family law attorney and reality was I just wasn't. And, but once I started to narrow it down, that's whenever the referrals just started to blossom. You know, John Fisher talks about this all the time. You know, I think he's probably more of the mindset that it's you, know, you take one practice area. I think you can get away with two, but you just have to make sure you streamline your marketing so that when you do market, you're marketing only one of those at a time. And I think Dean Jackson and Joe Polish would say the same thing. You could probably do that, but you do have to be very careful because those referrals, you just, if you start to narrow down, and we, we pare down our criminal to basically just probably two and a half to three percent of our entire practice. And once I've let people know, hey, we're doing 
we're doing injury. You know, that's what we do. That's where all my referrals come from. I get a ton of referrals from other attorneys, from clients, because they know I do injury. That's what I do. I still have the referrals from the criminal cases, from the cases I used to handle, but you'll get a ton of referrals if you'll just tear those down to just one or two practice areas. The next one we're going to do, number four, is outdated firm systems. So we've talked about this on prior podcasts, but you have to update your systems constantly. And if things aren't working, you need to cut them out completely. So it's probably a good idea to every year or so, or every quarter, or however you want to do it, periodically review your systems that you have in place and change them if necessary. We've had to recently update our call scripts to change things because one, I just thought we needed a slight change because the procedures weren't being followed specifically to as they should have been. So some of the calls were getting scheduled whenever they probably could have been handled on the front end as opposed to me calling them back. So we reworded some of our call scripts and, and those have been reduced. I mean, I had one callback yesterday, which is really, really good for us. I mean, usually have a bunch of callbacks. And just this week, I only have three callbacks between Monday and Tuesday, which was fantastic. It used to be, it was getting up to about five or six a day, which was a ton of callbacks. If you if you try to call them all back between four and five, it's a bunch of callbacks. So we've gotten those reduced with the new call scripts. And so if you do small things like that, they can make big differences in your practice. Yeah. And we've been going through some growing pains here and our systems are outdated and we're meeting today to go over some changes to our systems. And it's just important to realize that you know, the firm that you start is not the firm that grows and the firm that grows, grows bigger. And with more growth, you need more layers of people and work involved. And there needs to be more sort of supervision and backup and less interaction. You know, it's just not feasible now for me to know every single client to to be in charge of every single case. And that's a scary place to be, but you know, that's what sort of comes with scaling and growth. So you got to make sure that you protect yourself and protect your law license and make sure that you have good supervision, but at the same time, you need to acknowledge that you can't do everything. All right. So number five is unscheduled phone calls. And this is a big game changer for me. This comes from John Fisher and it has changed things quite a bit for me. So as calls come in, they are routed, rerouted, screened, filtered, work's done on them before anything gets to me. It, the big part of this is just setting it up front, setting expectations with clients, letting them know that you are not going to get me if you call me right away. If you call me and I tell them the hours that, that are the hours I return phone calls. And I tell them that if you call me during those hours, you probably won't get me because I'll have other calls, but that will be the best time to reach me if you are going to try to, to call me and reach me right then. But you have to set those ex- expectations. And I've, I've adopted some of the verbiage that John Fisher actually uses, actually gives to his client, the three rules of communication. So the clients understand that up front and they get it. I mean, now if you are in the middle of the representation for of your client and you're all of a sudden changing things and letting them know that they can't reach you when they're used to calling you on your cell phone, that could create a problem for you. But if you set these expectations up front saying, hey, you know, you can call me, but I'm, it's similar to like a, a doctor or a surgeon. I, I'm working on these cases throughout the day. I'm in court. I may be preparing for a trial. I don't want to be distracted as I'm working on these cases. And I've set aside this time. So what you'll do is you'll call the office, schedule a time, give them the subject and the topic that you want to discuss, roughly how long is it going to take, and then I'll call you back. And that helps in a, in a variety of reasons. But two of the big ones are, is one, you're not getting interrupted throughout your day. 
because uh, what it takes about an average of 15 minutes to change tasks. That's a big part of that. The other part of it is you'll have a chance to actually review the file quickly and actually see what's going on with that case. Because sometimes with injury cases, there's these lulls like that happen. And so you may need a, a second to review that file. So whenever you call that client back, you can actually be prepared to have that conversation. So it's a big game changer. So do not take unscheduled phone calls. That's a big part of it. If I had one piece of advice to a new attorney going out on their own or someone who's opened up their own law firm, it would be to not answer their own phone. And I think that you have to have a buffer between you and the client. And you're right that the buffer, the person answering the phone can get some of that basic information so that that cuts down on the amount of time that you need to get up to speed, that it gives you the opportunity to look into the issue before you call someone back so that you can show that you're knowledgeable. But I think that just answering your phone willy-nilly, you know, and jumping to the to the ringtone is one of the worst things we can do as attorneys. I know that a lot of times these attorneys, I talk to them, they say, oh, you know, clients like to get a hold of me right away, but are those really the best clients? for you? Are those the best clients that you have? I bet if you go back and you reflect and these ones that are always trying to get a hold of you on your cell phone, I bet that you're going to find that they're not your best clients. So just take that in consideration. Think, think about how you would like it if you are the actual client. Are you going to be calling and harassing this attorney on a daily basis on their cell phone? No, you're not. You're just not going to be doing that. So I completely take your point. I think your point is well taken that don't answer your own cell phones. I mean, not only do you have the buffer, but there's this, the appearance of it is just, to me, it kind of makes you seem like a second-rate attorney. Uh, I mean, no offense by that, but because there, there are a lot of really good attorneys that answer their own phones. But I think the appearance for especially new clients, new calls coming in, they expect, and a lot of this is about expectations too, they expect someone else to be answering the phone. So you might want to meet those expectations. It's also not sustainable. Eventually, you're going to reach a point if you're growing that you're not going to be able to answer every freaking phone call. So it just doesn't make good sense. Hey, guys, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. That's because we're seeing some really exciting things happening with Guild members and their businesses. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Inside, you'll gain support, tap into a network of connections, and continue learning a common theme among successful entrepreneurs. There are so many benefits inside the Guild, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all of the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. Investing in a community is like the self-care of business ownership. Being in a community with other people who get it is crucial when you're creating a rock-solid foundation to build your business on, one that's strong enough to withstand setbacks, transitions, and growth. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, number six is a topic that I added to the list, and that is volunteering or serving on boards. So my wife and I um, instituted a family, she's also an attorney, a family practice rule about three years ago, and that is that we couldn't serve on any more boards or volunteer for things without talking it through and, and making good decisions. And as attorneys and members of the community, you know, we have a certain skill set and knowledge and people sometimes look to us either at, at kids' schools or in not-for-profit organizations that want support and want people to help fundraise and to help build um, the organizations or the schools, um, PTO, things like that. 
And so oftentimes we're going to be asked to serve on boards or to volunteer. And I think we need to be very strategic with it. I'm not saying that you should never do it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it because it makes you feel good or that you want to help. But if you're looking at it from a purely business standpoint, that you need to make good decisions and pick and choose very, very carefully because those things can be time sucks and you you need to be focused on growing your firm and, and making yourself sustainable for your family because your family is your number one obligation. And while it's nice to be able to help other people, you also need to make sure that you are you know, keeping your eye on the ball and it's easy to get distracted. Yeah. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you're going to commit to it, commit to it. You know, if it's a cause that you truly believe in, do it. Right. So truly believe it, but truly commit. Um, don't just do these volunteer things because you think it's going to get you some business. I mean, some of this stuff has to be really calculated. You have to really think about how you're going to do it and really plan it out. I mean, for example, Jim Onder in St. Louis, he did this ingenious thing and he really committed to it it's about mini blind deaths. But, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, mini blind deaths used to be this really big thing, I think, and sort of before my time. And he created this organization or with one of the parents of one of the children that died from the mini blind deaths, he created this organization. And it was about, you know, letting people know about the, the dangers of mini blinds, things like that. And he really, really committed to it. There are things like that that you can do, but you have to commit to it. We're not talking about stuff like that. We're talking about the things where, you know, oh, I think I'll go to this. I think I'll volunteer for this because maybe it'll give me some clients. Cut it out. Just don't do it. I mean, it's, it's pointless. You're not going to get a client from it, probably. It's just probably not how it is. If you're going to do these things, make sure you plan it out. Make sure you do it well. Um, otherwise, it's just not worth your time. Next one we talk about is email. All right. So I was telling you earlier, I hate email. I cannot stand email. Both of us have these autoresponders that talk about when we respond to our emails. I respond to them during my buffer block between 11 and 12 and 4 and 5. Um, I'm not sure when you do. I know you accused me of copying your autoresponder. I may have adopted some of the language, but I got the idea from Tim Ferriss, and I know you did too. But the point of it is, is that you should only be checking your email a couple times a day, maybe one times a day, one time a day. As attorneys, we had to probably check it a little bit more often when you have court notifications. I know in Missouri, we have the electronic notifications via email, so we don't get the paper notices anymore. So if you don't check it, you need to have someone check it. And I was telling you, I'm going to hire somebody just to check my email, just to check my email, or I'm going to have someone in my office check my email because it can be such a time suck. If I'm looking for an email, I will not look at anything else. I'll go straight to the search function, find that email, and be done with it. And one of the worst things you can do is is start your day by checking your email because next thing you know, you're sucked in and you can't get out because you're trying to get all these emails done. So make sure you don't start your day doing it. I would set it aside a couple times a day to check your email. And the other thing is, is when you get in your email, touch it once. That's the Chet Holmes thing. Touch it once. So get it. Take care of it, get it off your list and be done because you don't want to be one of just sitting in there, highlighted, not being done, still showed as, a, as an unopened item. You want to make sure just take care of it once. During your time, your, your allotted time during the day, just knock it out. So cut out as much email as you can because it, it's a huge time. It's like maybe the biggest. I've had some interesting thoughts about email in the last few weeks. So I've started not looking at email, like not in the car on the way to work, not at home before I leave the house and not until 11 o'clock. And, and I use that early morning time to really get quality, important work done. And an interesting thing happens when you do that. Not only do you not get sucked into it, 
But when you get to it at 11 o'clock and you've already done most of what you want to get done for the day, you're sort of happy and satisfied. And to me, when I look at the email, I'm like, this stuff's not that important. I need to respond. It's, you know, they say email is a place where you go to get other people's assignments or work that they want you to do for them. And really it just loses its power when you look at it later in the day because you've gotten done what's important to you, what's going to move your firm forward. And then you can deal with the email and it just seems like a much freer place to do it. I know it sounds strange, but that's just sort of the emotional response I've had to changing things up. You're absolutely right. And it is someone else's to-do list is what it is. It's not your to-do list. It's someone else's to-do list. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to read it now. I'll copy and paste my autoresponder into our Facebook page so people can access it. But basically, if it's an urgent email, something that they need a response right away, they can contact one of our employees to actually get answers if it's an urgent matter. Otherwise, you're right. I mean, it's usually not urgent, so it's not that big of a deal. So I'll post that in our Facebook group so that people can access that. Number eight in our topic of saying no and letting go is low level and busy work. And this is something that I constantly struggle with. As I mentioned, you know, things have just sort of exploded here at the firm and we've really gotten busy. And I've really had to start with your pushing and John Fisher's to really make a clear delineation between what I need to be doing and what I don't need to be doing and trying to push off more of the low-level busy work. And so I have committed that during the next 12 weeks, what we're working on is our during unit and really trying to automate and delegate a lot more of the things that I'm doing. So for instance, the things that I'm going to be giving up are you know, preparing the checks. So you know, like we have to do filing fees and things. So there's no reason for me to be doing those checks things like that, that I really just want to let go and let Amani and Andrew, the other attorney, sort of supervise the initial preparation of immigration packets. And then they, they just come to me when they need to. So we're going to be setting up more of a team system where there's one paralegal with one attorney. And then I just make sure that everything's running on time. And I'm doing a lot less of the day-to-day work that I don't need to be doing. And so I think that's a, a real, real big opportunity for us and a, and a way for me to sort of step back. And I think that, that more growth will come when we free me up to do more of the marketing and the big picture stuff that I like to do. Yeah, and I think we have this natural tendency to want to do the easy stuff because it is easy. And so I think definitely people need to cut that stuff out. It's very, very easy to get sucked into that. But if you can delegate it, again, go through our list of delegate, automate, eliminate, go through that list of things to do. That's really going to help you offset that low level stuff, push it off onto someone else, outsource it, whatever you need to do, which leads me into my next thing, which is bookkeeping. You've used a virtual CFO for a while, Jill Hewlett, who which was a guest on our podcast. I've referred Jill and others to other attorneys I know, um, and it's something I'm going to practice what I preach. I've been doing it myself for so long, but it just it's very time consuming, especially with personal injury stuff. It's very, very time consuming. And I'm sure it's time consuming for any practice, but it's just especially balancing the, the trust account versus the operating account. There's just so many things you want to do and you don't want to screw up. So I've been actually trying to find a virtual CFO where I've actually been looking through Upwork. So I've actually posted a job on Upwork. So I'm going to test that out to see how it is. And there's a lot of bookkeepers on Upwork. So I think I'm going to do that. And this is was your suggestion. It's just going to free up so much of my time. And you can talk a little bit about how, how much time it's really freed up for you. So for me, I've had Jill 
as my virtual CFO since day one, and that's been a lifesaver. I just know that I'm not a math and numbers person, and the idea that I would be spending so much time in the nitty-gritty of balancing the books and all that stuff. I, I still you know, get reports and review everything, obviously, but I don't you know, know how to balance when someone gives me a refund or asks for a refund or whatever, you know, it just makes things tricky. So it's a total lifesaver to have someone like Jill managing that. I don't need to be doing all that stuff. For our last topic, negative people. And this is something that we have talked about in the past. There are undoubtedly people in this world who walk through life miserable, pessimistic, negative, just blah. And one of the best things you can do is surround yourself with people that are optimistic, that get it, that want to improve, that strive for doing good legal work and running a good, successful law firm. You want to spend your time with those people. You don't want to be hanging out with the Eeyores and negative Nellies. It just is a not a fun way to go through life. You can still be friends with them, but you don't want to spend too much time with them because that's just, you know, wasted energy. You know, I got a simple rule, right? You want to be around people that energize you and motivate you. That's simple, right? If they don't do that for you, you don't necessarily have to cut them out, but don't spend as much time with them. Spend the most time you have with the people that energize you and motivate you. And that's why I hang out with people like you, people like Gary Berger, John Fisher, things like that. Actually, they motivate you. They keep you on task. It's one of the things that just keeps you moving, right? And so the negative people can just bring you down. They can suck you down. They can suck your time. It's not good for anybody. So I don't think we have to stay much more than that, but just people that energize you, motivate you, hang out with those people the most. Everyone else, either minimize your time you spend with them or, or cut them out completely. That being said, that's right. number 10. So let's get into your hack of the week. Hack of the week. So I got a new iPad Pro. It's pretty big and monstrous, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's great for reviewing forms and checking on things. But in doing so, I had to reload some of my Kindle books onto my iPad, and it reminded me of one of my favorite books, and it was actually the second book I ever bought on my Kindle, and that's The the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it's a great book. It talks about how resistance is always there. Resistance is always trying to stop us from breaking through, from doing our best work. And it's just a great, great short little book that I highly recommend, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And my tip of the week is not a product or anything else, but my tip is going to go along with what we talked about today. And it's to go into your phone and remove the alerts for things like Facebook notifications, email notifications, any other notifications. I keep calendar notifications and I keep text messages. Those are the only two notifications I have on my phone. That way I don't get sucked into getting that email that comes across my phone and then I want to check it and I want to go read it right away. If I need to check an email, I usually know it's coming. And so I'll, I'll go in and check when I need to check it or I'll go during my time, my a lot of times for checking my email. So go in your phone and it's going to do two things. It's going to reduce the amount of stress. It's going to free up your time. It really is. And so go a week, go a day, try it for a day and see how you like it. And I guarantee you're going to love it. So turn the alerts off your phone. That's my tip of the week. I turned mine off a long time ago. It made a huge difference. All right. Good show, Tyson. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. I'm having lunch with you today, so we'll talk later today, but we'll talk to everyone else next week. And I will post that on our Facebook page right now. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.